Now I am going to give a little Dhamma talk. Since we all uh, have been practicing Vipassana meditation, I want to give you a talk on the sort of a nutshell of uh, Vipassana meditation. Vipassana meditation is a way of training our mind to uh, gain preconceptual awareness. When you hear the word preconceptual, you might know that we don't uh, conceptualize, verbalize, and uh, idealize, philosophize, psychologize meditation. I want to emphasize it is uh, non-verbal awareness. We don't uh, recite words, mantras, passages, lists in our meditation. Sometimes uh, people have memorized uh, lists and uh, on the top of the list there is one item called uh, knowledge of uh, rising and falling. That's one item. Then another item, bhanganyana, disappearance, destruction, knowledge of destruction. And bhayanyana, fear, knowledge of fear. And then uh, uh, so forth, there are uh, nine vipassana jnanas, eighteen vipassana jnanas, and so many numbers of knowledge of vipassana. So people memorize the, the list and then check out, sit down and check out, number one, finish, go to the number two, finish. So they go through the list verbally and at the end uh, they are enlightened. <laughs> that is not the kind of personal meditation we want to learn and practice. I want to say a few words about uh, uh, verbalizing. Uh, when you verbalize or so name, label, anything, the mind latched onto the word, name, label, concept. And then we don't know what is behind the label, the concept, words and so forth. So we keep repeating the word. What is behind is the most important for our <coughs> development of our mind. In my talks, uh, I will go back to this again and again and even want to repeat the disadvantage of uh, repeating words. In this introductory talk, I like to mention we want to through our Vipassana meditation, these three things I repeat also again and again until you get tired of hearing them. <laughs> what are the three things? We want to see impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and selflessness of all the five aggregates. Form, feeling, perceptions, volitional formations and consciousness to get rid of what is called uh, 
fetters. Fetters are the things that uh, bind us to this repetition of birth and death. This is a very uh, traditional standard uh, list. Even that list we are not going through, but it naturally happens. For instance, uh, notion of uh, permanent self. This is a very big subject and sometimes people get even offended when we talk about uh, non-self because uh, most of the people are so deeply involved in the notion of uh, self. It is extremely difficult or impossible for most people even to think of not having such thing in us, let alone understanding it. They, from a very first uh, uh, notion or thought of it, people would shun aside and uh, think, I don't have to deal with this because it is not real. And that's how many people react to the, the teaching of uh, non-self. But in Vipassana meditation, this is one thing we must uh, uh, try to understand without any prejudice, impartially. We have to uh, pay attention to our experiences without verbalizing, without having preconceived notion. The notion of self is already deeply established in our uh, psyche, that uh, uh, it is very natural that, uh, that it is impossible for most people to get rid of it or not to think in terms of not having a self, a permanent self. You know, even the Buddhas, Arahans, enlightened persons use the words self without any uh, problem in order to... They, they cannot go beyond convention. They cannot go beyond uh, ordinary mundane usage. We all have to use it. We have to use I, you, he, she, it, they, and so forth. Without uh, using these words, it's, the communication is impossible. I cannot say, these five aggregates communicate to that five aggregate, that five aggregate told me, this five, this five aggregate, and so forth. We cannot talk in terms of aggregates all the time. But we have to talk in terms of conventionally, ordinarily accepted terms, words, notions. So the Buddhas used it. Enlightened persons used it. They used it with the understanding that uh, it is a conventional term, usage. My... Uh, <coughs> very favorite uh, uh, simile or examples are, I think probably some of you might have heard, that uh, I ask uh, people uh, the, the name of the day, what today is Saturday, right? Have you seen Saturday, touch Saturday, smell Saturday, or hear Saturday? No. But it is there. We all use it. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, January, February, December 25th, and so forth. We use uh, uh, 
uh, equator, Capricorn, Cancers, uh, and so forth. We use uh, international date light, and so forth. All these are very important, useful terms we use for making communication easy. When we practice vipassana meditation, we understand the the practical use of using these terms, and at the same time, we see in our own experience that this is not some permanent eternal entity existing in us that we see, not existing in the body, feeling, perception, thoughts, or volitional formations, or consciousness. These are what we call aggregates. And then, this is one of the fetters, believing the existence of permanent, eternal, everlasting entity called self in either body, or in feelings, or in perceptions, volitional formations, or consciousness. It has been categorized or uh, analyzed into twenty different uh, kinds. Uh, we don't want to get involved in that right now. Uh, so just when we practice vipassana meditation, we want we see that it does not permanently exist, and we get it naturally dilutes and uh, faded and evaporates into thin air when we meditate. That is one of the fetters that will disappear. <coughs> then the second. Doubt. <coughs> Doubt with regard to the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. When we see the reality, we will rather amazed to understand how a person can come up with this kind of marvelous teaching. We marvel ourselves by seeing the reality. Uh, it is not just superficial just a belief. It is but uh, through understanding. Through our understanding we come to conclusion by seeing it as it is that uh, one who uh, presented this, realized this, and had taught us must be a fully enlightened being. We come to that conclusion, that conviction, through the vipassana practice. Vipassana practice, we practice vipassana not just to make or confirm Buddha's enlightenment, but we, when we practice it, it is inevitable that we understand, yes, one who discovered and explained this to us must be a really enlightened person. So our doubt will disappear. We just don't blindly believe in the Buddha. As we always emphasize, the blind faith, blind belief is not heavily emphasized or not even recognized or accepted in the Buddha's teaching. People have to practice and practice and practice and from their own personal conviction and experience, they will come to know who he is. He, he mentioned tapa chedacha nikashat 
सुवर्णमिव पांडिताय परीक्ष भिक्ष वो ग्राह्यंग मध्वचो नतु गौरवात इन संस्कृत ही सेड थपा छेदा च निकषात बाय बर्निंग कटिंग एंड हैमरिंग अ पीस ऑफ मेटल वन वुड कंक्लूड दैट दिस इज गोल्ड बाय सुपरफिशियल अपीयरेंस ऑफ द कलर वन वुड नॉट से दिस इज गोल्ड दैट इज नॉट दैट इज नॉट राइट सो वन हैज टू एनालाइज क्रिटिसाइज एग्जामिन प्रैक्टिस एंड देन कम टू अंडरस्टैंड दिस रियली इज अ पीस ऑफ गोल्ड सिमिलरली बुद्ध सेट द There's a very famous uh, discourse. I'm not going to talk about it right now. Kalama Sutta, another similar sutta is called Chanki Sutta in Madhyam Nikaya. Kalama Sutta is in Anguttara Nikaya and various other places. He has given us a criterion of judgment, of understanding of the Dhamma. Anyway, when we practice vipassana meditation, we come to this conclusion. Uh, provided we do it correct the practice correctly that this is true the one who taught us this method this system also is fully enlightened and doubt will disappear about the buddha and the dhamma when uh, after attaining enlightenment buddha thought of uh, paying respect to somebody then he found uh, there was not another enlightened person like him to pay respect then he thought of whom what should i pay respect then he found this very dhamma that guided me for the attainment of enlightenment is worthy my reverence my respect so he began to respect the same dhamma that guided him to the attainment of enlightenment and therefore in several places we hear and read yo dhammam pasati so mang pasati so dhammam pasati so mang pasati so dhammam pasati is almost very uh, readily uh, puzzling uh, statement that is uh, one who sees the dhamma sees me one who sees me sees the dhamma that means both buddha and dhamma seem to be identical he expressed the dhamma and dhamma expressed manifest uh, the buddha that means you can see the buddha through the dhamma when we understand dhamma properly and when we understand the buddha we can understand the dhamma so anyway through this practice vipassana meditation you know vipassana meditation the word is very commonly used these days you know everywhere but we don't uh, go into the very uh, what do you call essence of it and then our doubt will fade away disappears that is the second fetter third is when we practice vipassana meditation we come to a stage where we see gee what i've been doing all these years is just waste of time this is the thing this is the thing i should have done i should have started it 50 years ago if somebody practice meditation now at the age of 60 if somebody meditate now at the age of 40 it 
might think, may think, I should have started when I was ten years old. And I wasted so much my time doing all kinds of things to make me happy. I'm glad I discovered it even now, although it is late, late is better than never. So we keep practicing this, practicing, 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 then more we practice, clearer it becomes, the delightful we are, uh, happier we are. And that is why we begin to uh, regret that we have not started it long ago. Anyway, most of the time, many people practice all kinds of rites and rituals. They are called unwholesome habits. People practice rituals not for just uh, for fun, but as a habit. Sometimes it is almost a part of their life. They cannot even live without that. And so they religiously attach to them, follow them, and uh, some of them uh, practice them with the deep uh, belief that well, this, these rituals might help me to liberate myself. Repeating words and bowing 300,000 times and so many kinds of rituals. I don't have to enumerate or list them. People follow. Even we follow sometimes some rituals. But ours are very minimum, not too much. However, some if someone follows rituals thinking that rituals would liberate oneself from suffering and become attached to it, that is an impediment, that is a fetter. The Pali word for this is very important to remember. Sila bata paramasa. Sila, you have heard the word sila. Sila is generally translated into English as morality. Vata is translated into English as observance. Paramasa means attachment. So these three words, if we understand these three words, we, un we will understand what it really means. <clears throat> Many people with very honest, sincere attitude uh, want to give up various um, immoral, unethical practices, wrong things, crimes, killing, stealing and so forth, observe the precepts, and then they realize they, they get into this attachment to rules and regulations or uh, unwholesome habits. Sila, Buddha used the word Sila in two meanings, two senses. One is uh, <coughs> morality, other is habit. When it is used for morality, it is called Kusala Sila. Kusala Sila. Kusala means skillful. Sila means habit, skillful habit. One skillful habit is, I don't tell lie. It's a very, very skillful habit, a principle. I don't steal. It's a skillful habit, a skillful principle. Like that, there are many uh, principles you observe. They are called kusala sila, wholesome habits, meaningful habits, meritorious habits. And the other meaning is 
Akusalasila. Akusalasila means unskillful habits, unskillful practices, unskillful principles. The difference between these skillful practices brings us peace and happiness. Unskillful habits brings us suffering. So, here in the Silabhat Paramasa, in this compound word, the word Sila is used for the second meaning, unskillful, unskillful habit. Paramasa means uh, <coughs> attachment. Its opposite is Sammasa. Or Paramasana means attachment, Sammasana means reflection, mindful reflection. So, unmindfully, unskillfully, with desire, we are attached to certain rites and rituals, certain principles. And that becomes such an obsessive principle, obsessive practice, that it becomes an impediment and we cling to it. When we practice Vipassana meditation, we realize, gee, what I have I been doing all these years, following all these meaningless, harmful, habitual, unwholesome rituals. And then it slowly fades, because when the mind becomes clearer and clearer and clearer, unwholesome thing slowly fades away from the mind. It's a natural inner mechanism. We cannot inculcate this in somebody's mind. We cannot inject in somebody's mind. When we are mature, you know, when we are immature, we do many silly things. Right? When you grow up and mature, not just education. Education just brings us all kinds of knowledge. Many educated people do many silly things. This is inner opening, revealing, unfolding through maturity. We give up all nonsensical things that we had been doing when we were immature. As we grow from our own experience, we adapt very sensible, mature principles. So we give up, when we practice personal meditation, this is what happens to us. Naturally, our mind becomes so clear, clean, pure, and then we let go of all these silly things. Unless, uh, then, uh, if not, it is, it becomes mere obsession, and that is called a fetter. And then, there's another fetter, that is uh, obsessive greed, uh, clinging, uh, craving. Craving is uh, almost incurable. <laughs> it is uh, insatiable. I give you one very simple example in our modern uh, world. Uh, we are in the in a society where we have a disposable economy. Everything is disposable. We buy something, maybe a modern, uh, some equipment, some machine, and then we, it, it's very fantastic, it saves time, it saves energy, and it makes things very simple, very easy, uh, so it is advertised so well, by professional people, and when you read the advertisement, listen to the advertisement, you are so tempted to have to buy that, 
You don't have to worry about money, you have this plastic card. You just present the card and get it. Your money concept is gone from your mind. And then, two weeks later, you, you are during these two weeks, you hardly learn how to use it. So many devices, so many sophisticated things, the device may be two inches by four inches, one quarter inch thick, but the manual is a 300-page manual. So you got to read the manual to master the device. Three weeks you take to study it, and you hardly begin to use it, then it is obsolete. <laughs> the new product comes with more sophisticated, more powerful, more features, very cheap, and so forth. You even don't want to keep this. You want to get the new one and dispose of the old one. The same thing goes on with all kind of new things. Buy and throw away, buy and throw away, buy and never repair. Repairing, if you get go to repair shop, they say, well, this repair would cost $250. You can buy a new one for $300. <laughs> Why worry about repairing? Pay another $50. Buy, buy new one and old one, throw away. And throw away, throw away, throw away, throw away. They produce, produce, you throw away, you buy and throw away. They produce, produce, you buy and throw away, you buy and throw away. This is the obsession. Excessive greed, obsessive greed. So, when we practice vipassana meditation, our mind opens, becomes clear, and we become, become more mature. We understand this silly buying and selling and throwing away, and then we learn to be simple, simplify our life, and reduce our greed. This is a very simple, practical example, but the greed, of course, goes much deeper than that, which is a superficial example I gave you. Anyway, this is called uh, another fetter that binds us to this life, next life, and life after that, and so forth. As we practice vipassana meditation, we reduce it. The fourth fetter is called uh, hatred, anger, grudge, that all other things like jealousy, rivalry, and all this comes along with that. Now, this fetter also is, uh, we realize how much it eats up our mind, eats up, eats up our body. Anger or hatred will uh, it's a kind of uh, consumer. It consumes our uh, energy, our mind, our goodwill, our uh, friendliness and so forth. As we meditate, we realize it and we slowly let go of it. That is the fifth fetter. These are called five down-to-earth major heavy fetters. Friends, uh, even if we can get rid of even the first three fetters, we have made the big progress. If we can get rid of all these five fetters, we are quite safe home. <laughs> Not to worry about anything in the future. 
and there are five other subtle fetters. They are desire for fine material existence that is not in this life, that is after death. And even yet, that is another fetter. And the seventh fetter is called fine immaterial existence. As an immaterial beings in that existence. Eighth fetter is called restlessness, uh, agitation. It of course is a fetter in a very subtle way. They are not very heavy as uh, the first five. And as we meditate, even that becomes weaker and weaker and fades away. And the ninth fetter is called conceit. Although we think conceit is something very simple, but it goes that far. Even in the attainment of liberation, sometimes uh, it affects uh, meditators sometimes, because uh, sometimes even meditators can think, well, I'm superior to so-and-so because I'm a meditator. So-and-so knows nothing about meditation. See, so-and-so suffers so much, I am so happy, I meditate. So I am superior to so-and-so. That kind of complexity, conceit, can inadvertently be built up into our system. That also is a fetter. And the last fetter is the most difficult one, although it is mentioned last, it begins to uh, weaken from the very beginning. It is the last fetter that uh, begins to weaken at the very beginning of Vipassana meditation. And without that, no wholesome, skillful habit can cultivate. That is called ignorance. Ignorance is also a very big subject. In, uh, you remember the Noble Eightfold Path? Number one of the path is called right understanding, as opposed to ignorance, wrong understanding. So, the Vipassana meditation begins with that right understanding. That means, when we practice Vipassana meditation, it is this right understanding that begins to become clear and clear and clear, and understanding becomes clear and clear and stronger and stronger and sharper and sharper, and that is why the, the meditator begins to see all these things very clearly, begins to see the notion of uh, permanent self, is wrong, the attachment to rituals and so forth, and uh, doubt, and all these things slowly begin to become weak because of this understanding, because it is the ignorance that slowly subsides as we practice vipassana meditation. And that is why even the word vipassana has this meaning. We 
you may pronounce it any way you like, whether V or W, it doesn't matter. In Pali, there are no V and W. Some people ask me, should we say Vipassana or Vipassana? It doesn't matter. So, V means very special. Pasana means seeing. Seeing in a very special way. What is the very special way? When we open our eyes, we can see things uh, just like anybody else sees, if the person has good eyesight. Now, in Vipassana meditation, V very special means seeing this reality of impermanence as impermanence, without any distortion. We don't see impermanence as permanence. <laughs> Never can we make impermanent permanent, even if we attain enlightenment. Enlightened person doesn't attain enlightenment by making impermanent permanent. Unsatisfactoriness we can never make satisfactory. Unsatisfactoriness is unsatisfactory. That means suffering is suffering and uh, uh, no self is no self. Seeing these three plus seeing these ten fetters as fetters in exactly the same way we same way they are in our body, feeling, perception, volitional formations and consciousness is a special way. And with our eyes we cannot see no self. With our eyes we cannot see suffering. With our eyes we cannot see impermanence of the body and so forth, only with clear insight, clear vision, clear state of mind can we see these things in our body and so forth. And therefore it is called vipassana, seeing them in this very special way is called vipassana. Now that is vipassana in nutshell. We use the body as an object of meditation, our body, to understand the body. Friends, we have many ways of understanding the body. Biologists understand it a certain way, anatomists understand it in a certain way, or chemists, physicists, philosophers, psychologists, and, and so forth understand, you can uh, know the body from th to the very atom and molecule. You can count the number of blood cells in the body. You can count the number of um, red uh, blood cells produced every second by our bones, marrows. You can count it and there are statistics. So many 2.5 million or billion blood cells are produced every second in our bones and so forth, how many thousands of cell, cells, how many thousands of neurons and everything you can calculate uh, and know of the body. But uh, how many of them have attained enlightenment? How many biologists? How many physicists? Uh, I don't know, probably when you 
move in the society, you might bump into some enlightened biologist. In that, in certain way, they have deep understanding of the physical part of the body. But we use the body not to learn the physical part. We practice, we use the body to practice as an object of meditation, not to learn the physical parts, but to use physical parts to understand what really happens to them. You can break the body into any number of uh, parts, any tiny, minutest part, which of course is not our purpose. We are not uh, anatomist or atomist. Atomist can uh, break the body into minutest, tiny, uh, sub-atomic parts, molecules and neutron and proton and all this. They can break into this. But still, they even can see impermanence. They even can see impermanence. But uh, how many of them using impermanence, how many of them used impermanence for gaining something deeper than that? Buddha is the only one who used impermanence to liberate the mind from suffering. He used impermanence. And he used impermanence to build up or to, to discover the entire Four Noble Truth. So impermanence is not something very simple just to shun aside or just uh, you know, laugh at or just uh, throw it away. The knowledge of impermanence is extremely important. Why? And this is what we are trying to do, trying to see in Vipassana meditation. We must see impermanence. Things are changing, changing, changing so fast. We hardly can notice them, notice the change uh, very clearly until our mind is very highly developed and we cultivate both mindfulness and concentration. Superficially we can learn certain amount of impermanence. But impermanence, that which is impermanent, is suffering, Buddha said. Not because they are impermanent, things are suffering, but because of our attachment to impermanent things, suffering arises. We think impermanent things are not impermanent. We may know as a theory, we know Superficially, we know things are impermanent, but we cannot relate unsatisfactoriness or suffering to impermanence. Buddha, Buddha used this. Buddha saw it is because of our attachment to impermanent things we suffer. Hoping we, we attach to, as I mentioned earlier, we have craving, greed, uh, and we are attached to all kinds of things our body, our feeling and so forth, outside things, material things, immaterial things, we are attached to them. We cling to them, we hold on to them, thinking in the least that they are all impermanent. So, while we are enjoying these impermanent things, they change without giving our prior notice. They disappear. They don't give us a chance to prepare. They just change. And then 
while we are enjoying it, it's just like you are very, very hungry and you are eating a very good meal while you are enjoying, someone has snatched it away. You hardly had one mouthful of food. The plate is taken away by somebody. You'll be utterly disappointed. Similarly, while we are enjoying the pleasure of impermanent things, things change, disappear, and then we end up in suffering. So Buddha used impermanence and he saw how we suffer from being attached to impermanent things. This may not be very palatable uh, for us to talk and think about, but friends, how can we avoid it? How can we say it is not so? We cannot run away from it. We rather run into it and accept it and go along with it. And that is what we are doing in Vipassana meditation. That is one of the things. Seeing this reality, we accept it and enjoy while knowing, knowing this is what is happening. When it happens, we are right there because we know it in advance from certain amount of experience. We know this is what is going to happen. When it happens, we will not be so utterly frustrated, disappointed and uh, full of suffering. So this is a big subject. Um, I think I have to stop here. I don't want to spend the entire time talking on this subject, but uh, simply want to give you an outline of uh, what uh, uh, we are trying to do. And uh, uh, since you all are experienced meditators, uh, you probably might have gone through all these things already and uh, had learned and discussed, and yet it is not uh, redundant. Even if it is redundant, it is not uh, totally out of place, irrelevant to our practice. It is just maybe a reminder for our own understanding and practice. With this notion, with this uh, note, I like to conclude this talk and see you later. I hope you continue your practice.